Hello, everyone. I am very excited to welcome you to the latest episode of this new season of our Ipsos Brand Strategy Podcast, Brand Talk, inspired by Dal Rademacher, where every couple of weeks we're discussing an innovative brand topic with an inspiring guest on our show. And today uh, we're going to be speaking with somebody whose careers ranged from brand strategy and measurement to marketing operations, digital transformation, overall brand experience management. And I'm actually leaving a lot of things out along the way. Um, my name's Chris Murphy. I'm coming to you from my uh, hometown of Nashville, Tennessee in the United States. And I'm here with Hazel Freeman, our head of global communications research at Ipsos. You doing OK today, Hazel? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you. How are you doing? All right. Oh, very happy. Thank you. So, uh, Hazel, we've had uh, a healthy series of arguments about uh, the cultural impact of Shakespeare and John Lennon versus some of my local favorites, Johnny Cash and Elvis. And I seem to come out on the losing end of this every time. Um, you've also dropped some pretty memorable lines from Macbeth along the way, which we appreciate. But today, I'm going to take the debate out to California uh, and say, all right. Think about two very key figures in musical history, Paul McCartney, Brian Wilson, Beatles, Beach Boys. Ooh. Who influenced the other the most? Who influenced the other the most? Yeah. That's a really difficult one. Up until now, I've been very clear on my answers and I've come down British every time. Um, you if you'd given me anyone other than Paul McCartney. I might have come down American this time as well, but I still feel as though probably Paul McCartney has had a greater influence on Brian Wilson and the world at large than the other way around. Than the other way around. By the time you've got Hey Jude in there, you've got Live and Let Die, got Mullet Kintyre in Frog Chorus, but we'll let him off Frog Chorus. Yeah, that was a slip. That was a slip. And so, so, if you'd done a brand right. price trade-off on this and given me I, anyone other than Paul McCartney, I'd have gone with Brian Wilson. I'm I've done some. With Paul. I've done some reading on this one, Hazel. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. I've, I've, I've got the unfair advantage of preparation on you on, on, on this one, but uh, all right. So here, here's the general sequence of things as I understand it. So uh you'll probably still argue for paul because of where things started but uh, my understanding is brian wilson hears revolver is very inspired challenged and says all right we're gonna we're, we're gonna one-up this thing and uh it, it, hence he goes into production on on pet sounds paul mccartan hears pelt sounds and goes ah i i can i can do better i can do better that that, that was really awesome and he comes up with sergeant pepper and then uh over the years of course i, th I think as, as we've all seen you know the list of top albums from any set of critics pet sounds and sergeant pepper almost one two but in the reverse order but here's the trump card for brian wilson paul mccartney is on record saying god only knows is the greatest song ever recorded yeah niraj is nodding i think even wow. though there was a lot of, uh, you know, back and forth in that very crucial three year period of music history, I, I say I say uh, Brian edges Paul out in the influence on one another department. So okay. Okay. I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll let Niraj weigh in on this in just a second. But uh, 
Today, we're joined by Niraj Kalani, who started his career at Insights, but now leads a number of important functions at Moderna, serving as their global head of commercial and medical excellence. And his LinkedIn profile has emphasized several key words, hashtag branding, hashtag insights, hashtag data, and we're going to touch upon each of those in this conversation. Niraj, can I, can I start off by just saying Moderna? I'm, I'm guessing some of our listeners might not be familiar with the company. Do you mind just taking a moment to describe the basics of the business? What do you sell? Who do you sell to? Hello, Chris. Hi, Hazel. Thank you and really excited to be here. I do think that Moderna has a high top of mind awareness. But for those who do not know, Moderna is an innovative biotech based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And our claim to fame is the SpikeVax COVID-19 sure. vaccine yeah. that we manufactured during the pandemic that saved millions of lives around the world. And I would say similar to other life sciences companies, we sell our products or vaccines uh, to healthcare professionals um, and healthcare organizations such as pharmacies and hospitals. That's very true. As soon as you said that about the COVID vaccine, I thought, yes, there were all those debates, weren't there, about which was the best? What have you got? What have you had? And so on. How could we possibly forget the Moderna name after that? I'm going to let you have another slightly, possibly slightly easier question. Where do you stand on the McCartney-Wilson <laughs> topic? So I would say I'm, I'm very political. I'm going to be very political. So I think <laughs> I think both were great songwriters, high caliber, uh, good singers as well. But I'm not, unfortunately, a big fan of either of the musical groups, whether that's uh, Beatles or (laughs) Beach Boys. I do like, you know, sort of the man in black, Johnny Cash. I do like. Oh, there we uh, go. um, I do like. It should have been on a couple of weeks ago. I, and I do like, you know, other artists like Chris, I said, you know, Steve Winwood, Brian Adams, George Jones. So, again, I like to hear to good music and doesn't matter where it comes from. So, uh, again, I'm very close to many artists. I pick one or two songs from each of them. And both, I think, Paul McCartney, his group, Beatles, Brian Wilson, Wilson his group, you know, Beach Boys, uh, they were excellent. So, well Hazel, Niraj, uh, for, for our listeners, Niraj is unable to see Hazel and me right now due to a, a difficulty with our, our video feed. But I am sitting here wearing a Johnny Cash T-shirt, Niraj. <laughs> so I cannot believe you just mentioned the great Johnny Cash. And thank you for doing that. And George, you even slipped a little George Jones in there. But, uh, me and all my Nashvilleian, uh, you know, uh, we, we, our fellow Nashvilleians, we thank you for, for what you just said. So take that, Hazel. Yeah. <laughs> Shall I take my Sergeant Pepper outfit off then? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> back to the business. Back to the oh, business. Back to business We're right. going to come back to the role that you're playing at Moderna, Niraj. And, and before you, we pepper you with a whole load of brand questions, I'm sure our listeners would actually be quite interested to hear about your own unique career story. It seems as though you started off in the insights world and you've moved on to lead all sorts of different functions. Tell us a bit more about that. How did that unfold? So uh, thank you, Hazel. My actually career started in sales. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. Well, prior to sales, I actually started my career in uh, e-commerce. So right after my grad school, I joined uh, Hewlett Packard in California, and I was uh, in program management uh, where we were trying to sell, you know, custom-figured PCs um, to to people, uh, whether they go to buy or they would go to uh, Circuit City, which is no longer in business, and they would uh, configure their own PCs, and then the order would come in, and then we would work with our OCI uh, OCM manufacturers, and they would actually then build it out and ship it out. So I started there, and then eventually I moved into into sales role, you know, with with PepsiCo. Also did category management, then moved into shopper and consumer insights, brand building, uh, etc. So that's that has been my story. It's I would say it's a story of happens happenstance, right? I think I was at the right time. And like most people, you know, I have, I would say, a few dominating uh, character traits that has, you know, helped me throughout my career. Um, I think early on, I realized that I have this ability to connect the dots. I'm very mm-hmm. high energy. And then, you know, a need to continually reinvent or challenge myself. And so I think a trifecta of these made me innovate and you know, myself several times, um, only so that I can stay energized, stay focused, and stay relevant. So that's essentially what happened. I was at the right place, right time. I spent majority of my career at PepsiCo, about 12 years. And then I wasn't planning for an industry change. But in 2015, uh, Pfizer's Europe division, within their established products business unit, they were looking for a leader who had customer insights and strategy background to lead the customer and patient-centric transformation. So someone recommended me to the chief commercial officer reporting into the president of uh, Europe division. We met over lunch in New York. Um, then I went through a rigorous you know, case study interview process, and then I was offered a role. Um, and, and to be honest, I wasn't planning to leave PepsiCo. I was doing really well. Uh, I was working with Amazon India to build up, you know, e-commerce uh, for PepsiCo. Early days of, you know, PepsiCo was trying to get into e-commerce foray. And then also, you know, something in China as well. Uh, and I had never focused on life sciences before. I didn't know much about them. I never invested any money. <laughs> and so uh, car- it was carte blanche that uh, they offered me that role. Uh, and what I liked is that autonomy, the challenge that the role would provide. So look, I think this role uh, made me, I was very comfortable, you know, with everything uh, about customers and consumers. And I think this role was meant to be. So I, I took it on, I took it on and, and eight years now, I'm still in life sciences. So would you describe your current role more about customers or operations or is it a a little bit of both or is it something else entirely? I think it's a bit of both. I think it has elements of both. I have to focus on the who, which is the customer to whom we are selling or the consumer that is patient or caregivers, um, as well as the how, right? Making sure that the inner workings to ensure that work is done effectively and efficiently. That's why I think it's a combination of both customer officer as well as an operations officer, and they both uh, have to coexist. 
Mm-hmm. And obviously, to make it happen, it needs to be supported by, you know, training, communication, change management, and performance evaluation. Um, I'm also like a digital business owner at Moderna. So I work very closely with technology people or technology function to ensure that we have the right channels, the right platforms enabled uh, to support, you know, business needs. Yep. Makes sense. Wow. And I, if I could, I just just uh, before we totally lose the the thought, going back to to what you said as you were describing your your career arc, I think that that willingness to reinvent yourself and stay relevant. I, I, I'm pretty close to quoting you there. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's such an incredible attitude. Um, you know, and it it's obviously paid off handsomely in your own career arc. But it's just, it, I think it's a it's a how to tip that we can all take to heart. Um, you know that that it, it it's courageous and necessary, and uh, I, I think it's it's yielded great results for for you and the companies you've served. Um, so, but let's talk a little bit about that. Let, let's talk about kind of how, um, and, and I guess to to a degree, this can circle back to the McCartney theme because let's call this a day in the life, right? To to reference one of their their most famous recordings. Um, so think about a day in the life. Back in your Pepsi days, you're looking after kind of a combination of brand strategy and, and insights. And um, I'd love to hear you just kind of compare what what a, what a day in your life back then looked like now compared to a day in the life, you know, um, as kind of this almost hybrid of chief customer officer and chief operations officer. You know, how how did that play for, for our listeners? Because most of us don't get to experience that kind of diversity in our career. Right? So just, yeah. Uh, can you talk to us about that a bit? So I would say both roles, like even then, it required agility. But I worked very closely with marketing. I worked very closely with, you know, field people. Um, The role of regulatory, compliance, medical, uh, even legal was non-existence in the Mm -hmm. things that I was doing then. Mm -hmm. It was always about... So the the consumer and customer understanding was always there. You would have to know them in and out, understand where they are in their journey, you know, what types of products play uh, in their choice set. It's about choices and how do you drive, you know, merchandising, promotion, um, assortment, et cetera, at the store, right? Before e-commerce days, obviously. So I worked very closely with sales and marketing. I'm doing the same thing here. Mm-hmm. But I do partner uh, very closely with Field Medical, which is sort of the new role uh, that has or the new responsibility that has been given to me. Mm-hmm. So I focus a lot more on need identification and what are the capabilities that we need to build around marketing automation, right? To drive communication, to Got drive it. brand preference. We need to work on many of those capabilities. And some of those capabilities are like customer relationship management. Um, my my thought is that within the pharma world or in general, whenever whenever field people or customer-facing colleagues are speaking with their potential customers, they should have a, a system that allows them to orchestrate and gather, you know, data from multiple points of view. Mm -hmm. Uh, People going to website, data should flow into one system. If they're pushing out communication, they should have the same system. And which is what I call 
sort of the CRM, uh, which yep. has been there for a long time, but it's about that orchestration, right? So we we talk about consent and preference management because in our industry, people have to consent before they can receive information. You just cannot push them information. And, and public communication or advertising is not allowed in 99% of the countries, maybe, maybe except US and maybe New Zealand. And so therefore we have to be very careful in what we are communicating. We have to go through a very, very rigid approval process from uh, before a promotional material is shared out by, by field medical or field commercial, which yep. we call it MLR process. Makes sense. Makes sense. So uh, Niraj, is it fair to say, going back to uh, what you said a, a couple of minutes ago, one of the common threads but between your role in the CPG world and the pharma world uh, is that the, the consumer understanding was always there, right? I, I yes. think you, you mentioned that as sort of core um, and that you've, you've kind of had a continued relationship with sales marketing, regardless of where you travel, right? Um, so uh, that's, and maybe speaking of, of that, if, if we build on that a little bit, um, and I think that this next question will be, uh, uh, or your answers to this next question will be particularly helpful to a, a lot of our, our listeners who, who work in the insights world. Um, you know, there was a time in your career um, where, uh, and you probably argue it still is, <laughs> where it was part of your job to make sure that brand leaders were acting upon the implications of what you were learning, right, or of your insights. Um, so just, again, given your career arc, given, given the diversity in the, uh, in the sectors, um, any tips? that you can offer folks uh, just in terms of what works in terms of you know, driving decision-making and, and then maybe the flip side of that, maybe, you know, uh, what are maybe some mistakes uh, th that they might want to avoid or pitfalls that they might want to avoid in trying to, to, to get things acted upon. Oh, I can go on and on for this one. Like what That's works, all right. Feel right? free. <laughs> That's so why I we have say... editors do rush. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, an ability to listen intently, but be brutal about must-haves versus nice-to-have. Um, resources are limited in both worlds. Um, there are There is no dearth of ideas. Um, so it's important that you're really standing the, the customer needs, um, what the brand can deliver, what is the yeah. role of the brand, and then be brutal about what exactly you want to focus on in that, that particular time period. Um, be comfortable. We know with ambiguous directions, but be flexible enough to accept change in direction because that often happens. Like priorities change from the top uh, yeah. and people who are in insights roles, they often don't get to hear sometimes in time. So be accept yeah. and ready. So flexibility is important. Um, you know, the ability to disassociate from the projects emotionally um, because wow. insights people, insights people, our market researchers, they invest so much time emotionally. Um, I think it's important to be able to disassociate. Um, it's also about it's also about uh, rapid experimentation, learning and improving. I think that will always help people, you know, learn about it, take the key changes and move on. Uh, and then I would say the last thing is what works is always focus on the experience, whether that is a product experience, whether that is a brand experience, um, that's a customer experience or life experience. I think we live in a world where everyone is so well connected. I think we need to start 
thinking from an experience point of view, but experience has many different leaves, right? And, and I think all are important. Could you maybe give us an example of where you see that's worked particularly well, that focus on experience, which I think is a great summary? So I would say it works in both CPG as well as well as in pharma. Uh, so at Moderna, we are always trying to focus on that experience, whether that experience of the physician who is trying to uh, you know, prescribe our vaccines, or whether that's a pharmacist who is trying to dispense um, that vaccine. And, and I think it's equally important. So even though we say we are patient-centric, I think it's important to realize that physicians are the gatekeepers or the pharmacists in the vaccines world are the gatekeepers. So it's important to understand, you know, what's that experience pharmacy is trying to, uh, we are trying to elevate and then they are trying to give it back to, uh, to the patient when a patient comes into their store. So in a CVS, you know, having the right educational material, uh, always having a smile on the face, making sure you are knowledgeable, knowledgeable about the mRNA uh, based vaccines versus the other types of vaccines. I think those are some of the things that uh, we need to we need to help um, elevate for the providers and the dispensers. Um, shifting gears a little bit, one of the other things that you mentioned in your in your LinkedIn profile is about branding. Obviously, branding and brand building is a, a key topic for many of our our listeners. Do you? Well, I was going to say, how do you do it? But maybe I should just check first of all. Do you view your role at Moderna these days as a brand builder? Would you say that 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 kind of fits what you're doing at the moment? So I do see myself as a brand builder. In fact. I would like everyone within the company, whether that's Moderna or any other company, to be brand ambassadors and talk about their brands, their experiences that the brands are trying to deliver with families, friends, and relatives. So when I visit you know, hospitals or when I, uh, when I visit pharmacies, I do take the time to build that trust, which I think is the linchpin um, to build the brand. Without the trust, the brand cannot be built. You can talk about the demand generation pieces. You can talk about the brand identity, the value that the brand provides, or the perceptions that the brands are creating in the hearts and mind of people. But at the end of the day, the core is about trust. So if people don't trust your brand, then it becomes really hard. So I think everyone's goal is to build that memorable experience through brand building um, and and be proactive about it. Uh, and and I think I think it'll it'll really help. Uh, all companies and everyone who is part of these great brand branded companies. So building on that idea then of trust and the importance of trust in the relationship, it sounds as though that's the biggest challenge that's there for you. How do you see that that working? How do you advise your teams to to go on that journey of building trust? Um, there are multiple dimensions to trust, right? So I would say, let's start internal first. So what are the different product attributes that are important? Product efficacy in our world, product safety, product quality, the pricing that we are charging, as well as the availability, right? Because you want to make sure that your product is available when needed um, at, the, at the right place at the right time uh, for people. So I think that's important. That's internal focus. It's also about really having deep and comfortable understanding of the customer and consumer needs. Um, 
and let them define the value, right? How do they perceive yeah. our brands? I think it's going to be really, really important. So I think it, it, it requires a deep holistic understanding of the consumers as well as the customers um, before you can actually translate some of those insights into the materials, uh, in, in, including the communication, different communication arcs and the different de delivery mechanisms to make sure that you're providing the surround sound information you know, to mm. the patients and the customers. So then it starts developing trust. And I often used to say that um, trust takes time. Start doing things um, in a sequence so it helps you get to that trust. Trust doesn't happen overnight. And it's important to keep that in mind. I totally, totally agree, Niraj. Uh, I think most of the uh, uh, path structures I've built in my career to trust almost always end in the conclusion of positive repetition, right? It just it needs to happen over and over again. It's just like a relationship, right? Um, yeah, uh, for us to build a trusting relationship, you, you need to uh, behave well for, with one another over a period of time. That's how it happens. So, Niraj, we have covered some incredible ground here, and, and thank you for all the wisdom you've dispensed. Um, but I, I always ask our uh, our guests this one closing question. If our listeners could walk away with just one message from you, you know, that you've shared with us here today, what, what would you want to make sure they took away? I would say listen to your customer and consumers or die. And the reason I, I, I say that, Chris, is, you know, people are dynamic and their mindset mindsets shift, right, based on their context, which throughout the day changes. And therefore, you know, brands must engage and create that endearing experience, right, that evolves yep. with the changing mindsets. Yep. Excellent. Uh, th thank you, Niraj. Um, and uh, I, I think just to summarize some of the points that have been made here today, um, you know, I think maybe the Americans finally scored one in the, the U.S.-U.K. culture wars, <laughs> especially when Niraj came through for me with the George Jones, Johnny Cash references. So thank you for that. Um, but uh, and also just some of the key things. I, I usually don't list this many things in, in my recap, but uh, I heard so many great themes that I think our listeners can apply in their world. So I, I just want to reiterate a few of them. Uh, this notion of self-reinvention. Uh, you know, over, over the period of a career arc um, to stay relevant. I think that's so important. Um, and when we're trying to make an impact on the business, the importance of listening intently, being able to differentiate from nice to haves and needs to haves, um, really understanding the business well enough to know what can be delivered, um, to, to focus on, on the experience in the way that Niraj talked about being comfortable with ambiguity, um, knowing how uh, priorities change, um, understanding, be empathetic, understand that priorities change for executives. So you've got to be flexible and even, I believe to use your exact words, disassociate from a project emotionally. I, those are such incredible pieces of advice. And then culminating in, in maybe my favorite of all, all employees should be brand ambassadors. I think that, that that's a it's a great message for us all to to, to carry forward. And, and just as as 
thinking back to my own experience as a brand leader, uh, that that was one of the things I, I I tried to be very consistent in sermonizing about. Right, we're we're all representing this brand, um, and so if we can be aligned behind its it, it, its purpose, its positioning, and reinforce it in everything we do, it's it's just the best. Um, so uh, th- thank you for that, Niraj Hazel. It's been a wonderful conversation. Um, and uh, again, for those of you, especially if you might be early in your career, I hope you were really listening closely to those tips for success. Um, I, uh, I, I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as much as we did. And if you want to learn more about this topic, shoot us a note at uh, brandtalk at ipsos.com. And we hope, of course, that you'll tune into the next episode, uh, which is going to build really well on uh, Niraj's closing comments about uh, listening to the customer or die, because uh, we're going to be talking to somebody who has a little bit of experience in, in uh, brand experience management. So, uh, and yes, those Nashville, uh, London culture wars, they're going to keep rolling. And until then, talk soon.